0: Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. So we continue our, our study of uh, the, the servant's song. We're into the last song in uh, the latter part of Psalm 52 and all of 50, uh, 53. And I have the blessed uh, privilege of speaking on the suffering of our servant and, and his still tongue, if you would, the silence of the land, if you would, in uh, verses 7, 8, and 9. So I'll read the scripture and then open up from prayer. Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 9. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of our Lord. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions, transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with the wicked men, yet with the rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So, Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word, and we thank you that... um, just through the ages, Lord Father, your your word endures, and we just thank you for the people you've used throughout the ages that uh, that have written commentaries and books on your word, just to help us, Lord Father, to, to understand uh, this this very difficult book, um, your word about about you know the the, the narratives and the history of, of, of an ancient culture and people and times that would that are very difficult for us to understand. So we just thank you for those to shed light on these things that we may understand. But most of all, Lord Father, we thank you for your spirit that testifies of the truth in your word, that, Lord Father, that this book is about about redemption, it's about restoration, and it's about uh, Jesus, your Son, who has come to fulfill all things through his death, and 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 it's about his resurrection lord father that the promise the seal the proof that he was righteous he was the righteous lamb of god because you raised him from the dead and now he's seated at your right hand on the <clears throat> on the right hand of power and glory in heaven And lord father we look forward to that day when he comes again to make all things new but until then lord father may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven amen so as I was studying uh, the suffering of Jesus, I was kind of reminded of the song by Andrew Lloyd Webber, Jesus Christ Superstar, right? Um, song I listened to a lot as a teenager, never really understand, understood the songs in, in that musical. But that song, Jesus Christ Superstar, the first verse starts off like this. Every sang by uh, the character Judas in, in, the, in the musical says, every time I look at you, talking about Jesus, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. You'd have managed better if you had a plan. Why do you choose such a backwards time in such a strange land? If you come today, you could have reached a whole nation. Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. Interesting words, right? And what I think um, uh, Lloyd Webber is saying here is that, you know, you know Jesus, um, if you were to come perhaps at a different time with a different message, um, to di- uh, perhaps to different people, perhaps the outcome of your ministry would have been different. Perhaps you would not have suffered the, the fatal fate that you did. Right? And it's a common view uh, around the world today, right? P- people ask, uh, uh, ask the question, you know, with, or, or it's their opinion on Jesus. It was just a reckless crusade. You know, just unnecessarily spurring anger and jealousy against himself that would eventually lead to his oppression and his affliction and his condemnation. And um, and we see this, actually, in his trial before the Sanhedrin, right, the Jewish religious leaders, and before Pilate, that every time Jesus did not answer the accusations from the Jews, they would just grow more agitated, and they would just try to fabricate more lies or false testimonies against him to fulfill the purpose of having him crucified by the Romans. And even before Pilate, although Pilate was amazed that Jesus stayed silent, eventually Pilate lost full sympathy for Jesus and handed him over to be crucified and washed his hands of the entire deal. But, but, it, but we see that um, Jesus' silence, his, his lack of words, in his trial is exactly what Isaiah is pointing to, what his prophecy is pointing to about the Lamb of God, about Jesus. That he stays silent, that even though he was oppressed and afflicted, he did not speak. And I know what most of you pe- people are thinking, well, oh, hold on here a minute. Well, you know, I just read the four Gospels this morning before he came to church and Jesus did speak in his trial before both the Sanhedrin and, um, and Pilate. So why? how could Isaiah say that he did not open his mouth when he did? But I think what Isaiah is alluding to here in what Peter says in uh, in his first epistle, chapter 2, is that uh, Jesus, although when he was uh, reviled, or when he was scorned, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not utter threats. So I think that that's what That is, that's the gist behind what Isaiah is saying. He did not return evil with evil. He did not return scorn with scorn and threats with threats. He remained silent instead. So we have to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus stay silent? What was the purpose, the purpose behind it? But before we answer that question, I think it's important that we actually go through those verses of... uh, Matthew's account of those two trials. Brothers and sisters, hear the suffering of our Lord and Savior. Matthew 26. Those who had seen Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did, uh, they, uh, they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Do you not answer? What is, it, what is this these men, are te- these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest uh, said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ the Son of God, and Jesus said to him, "You have said it yourself." Or in, uh, Mark and Luke's account, Jesus says, "Yes, I am." Then the high priest tore his robes and said, "He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think?" And they answered, "He deserves, sorry, he deserves death." Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hits you? Matthew 27. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear the many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge, so the governor was quite amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message to him saying, uh, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to re- release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who was called Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? Um, uh, but they kept on shouting the more, saying, Crucify him. When Pilate said, uh, saw that he, was, uh, that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that the right was, uh, was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourself. And all the people said, His blood shall be on, on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas uh, for, uh, for them. But after having Jesus' scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium uh, and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting a crown of, uh, together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, took a reed, and began to beat him on the head. Uh, after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off, robe off him, and put his own garments back on him, and led him away to be crucified. Yet he did not open his mouth. So we ask the question again, why, why did Jesus not open his mouth? I can think of two reasons, the one that probably most of us are, or, would think of, and that's so that scripture would be fulfilled. Right, Jesus, Jesus' own words, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when they come, came to arrest him. Uh, so, um, they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And he said, uh, do you not think that I can appeal to my Father, and he will at once put, dispo- uh, my, put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then will the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, uh, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this had taken place to fulfill the the scriptures of the prophets. So to fulfill scripture, uh, you ever wonder what, what it would look like if Jesus did not keep his mouth closed? Jesus did revile when reviled, if he did utter threats. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, I could actually use scripture to back this up somewhat. Um, okay, so Caiaphas says to the council, what do you think? He's, bl-? And they all say he's deserved of death. But then Jesus says, hold on, Caiaphas, you hypocrite. Does not the law say that a man should be able to appeal his case before, before being condemned? Allow me, to appear, allow me to present my case and to call my two witnesses. And just then Jesus was transformed, right? And His face shone like the sun and His clothes were, were, were as white as the light. And Moses and Elijah appeared with Him. And, and, but then the, um, the Jewish council would say, it, I'm referring to number 16. Remember when Moses was accused like Korah and, 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 and the other men, right? So I'm thinking the Sanhedrin would say to Jesus, who, who do you think you are? Why do you exalt yourself above everybody else? The whole, the, right, the whole assembly is holy. The whole Sanhedrin is holy. And the Lord God is in our midst. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And Jesus would say, the Lord is going to do something to show to you whom he has chosen to be by his side. Who is his, who is his anointed servant? To show to you that I'm not doing these things on my own, but that is God's will. And if we're familiar with Numbers 16, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and the men who were with him. And I can see that in, the, in, the, in this court case. With Jesus, if Jesus did um, uh, revile when reviled, if he did, other threats. Like you see the ground opening up and swallowing up whole, the whole Sanhedrin. But then the scripture would not be fulfilled. The prophetic scriptures against, about Jesus, about what must be done. So he kept his mouth silent. If anyone, per- if anyone perceived the momentum, the, the, the momentous, what's the word I have here? momentous significance of the fulfillment of the Father's word, it was Jesus. Right? Jesus was there at the beginning in the garden. God, God prophesied and God promised that there would be a Savior. That, that the seed of the woman would be bitten by the serpent, the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. God said there w- the Messiah, the seed of the woman, will suffer. The poison of the serpent, if you would, will cause agony and suffering, and eventually it will kill the seed of the woman. And even though Jesus knew this, he perceived this, he knew the suffering he was going through, still he did not open his mouth so that the scripture may be fulfilled. A second reason why Jesus did not revile or utter threats was for the joy that was set before him. Right? Hebrews 12. We, we know it. Jesus, uh, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of power. Like, like the shepherd, who had a hundred sheep, and one goes astray, and he leaves the ninety-nine in the open field, and he goes searching for that one sheep. And when he finds it, the, the scripture, Jesus says, he puts the sheep on his shoulders rejoicing and coming back and he calls his neighbors and, he, and his friends and, I love this, and he says rejoice with me for I have found the lost sheep right and, and like the woman who had ten silver pieces uh, uh, ten silver coins she loses one and she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and search, searches diligently to find it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors and says rejoice with me where I found the coin or the father of the prodigal son when he saw his son coming from the distance he had compassion on him and he ran to him and him and you know and kissed his neck and he called his servants and said he uh, said bring out bring out the best robe and put a ring on his finger and, and sandals on his feet and kill the fatty cat for, uh, uh, for we must celebrate and rejoice and when the older son, older son um, it was was angry, the father said, it is right. It is right for us to celebrate and rejoice. For your brother was dead and he was alive. He was blind and now he sees again. So this is what Jesus was looking forward to. This is why he kept his mouth closed. um, during his trials, because he could see forward to the joy of being in the presence of the heavenly angels, uh, all the the counsel of God, and all the people who were redeemed with him, rejoicing together in eternity, in the new heaven and the new earth. And and it's just what kept Jesus' mouth shut, why he did not utter utter threats, why he did did not revile while he was being reviled. So we come to verse eight. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for and as for this generation, who considered, Isaiah asks the question, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living in transgression by uh, transgression for my people, to whom the stroke was due. In a Jewish commentary on Isaiah 53, the author writes. People may have seen Jesus die, but did anyone see him die as as an atonement atonement for the sins of others? Of course not. This is simply the meaning which the New Testament gives to his death. Only if you already accept the New Testament teaching that Jesus' death uh, had a non-visible spiritual significance, can you go back and then say, aha, see, the prophet predicted what I already believe. So the author of Isaiah 53, then, is really no proof at all for Jesus, but rather a contrived confirmation or invented proof someone who has already chosen Christianity. This contrived confirmation or invented proof, you know, and the commentator's right, right? We just... It's not right to take an assumption or presupposition or a theory we have and try to force it into Scripture to come up with our own interpretation. However, as Christians, applying New Testament literature, the Gospels, right, the the, the accounts of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and other New Testament narratives and letters, applying that literature to the Old Testament is not bad exegesis. Actually, it's perfect exegesis. Allowing the Bible to interpret itself is good, sound exegesis. And again, the commentator is, is right, actually, in suggesting that no one thought, at that time, no one saw Jesus' death as an atonement for sin. Not his mother, who for years, uh, you know, pondered the, the, the words of the angel Gabriel about her son, and remember when, she, when when Mary and Joseph brought uh, Jesus as the, as the baby to the temple as a, uh, temple to present him to the Lord, Simeon's words about Jesus. So all this Mary kept inside of her, pondered. But well, she never ro- recognized the death of her son as atonement for others. And what about John the Baptist? He pointed to Jesus as the one who t- who would take away the sin of the world. But but he. Uh, but he struggled to comprehend the how and the when. And that, wait, the twelve apostles who sat at Jesus' feet for three years, listening to his teachings on the kingdom, but they did not understand his death as an atonement for others. Even when, when he was resurrected, they were saying, "Okay, Lord, is this now? Are you bringing the, now? Is this when the kingdom comes?" They still didn't get it. Or even the, the Jewish religious leaders. They knew where the Messiah was coming, where he was going to be born, but they didn't comprehend the why. But, that, but, that, but that's exactly what Isaiah is saying, right? When Isaiah asked that, that, that rhetorical question. I, when, Jesus, when Isaiah says, did anyone of his, of his generation see it? Isaiah is really saying, no one did. And and the fact that no one did is is the fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah. So it is right for us to take Jesus, the life and the death, the struggling of Jesus, and look back at Isaiah and say, Aha! See? This is what the prophet was alluding to. So the Lamb of God, dying for the transgressions of his people... We we see this uh, in Jesus as the Lamb of God, the servant who who fulfilled the the multi-functions, if you would, of a lamb in, in Jewish rituals. He was the guilt offering, the ritual wherein the sins of the people are confessed before the Lord. He was the sin offering, the ritual wherein the sinner is cleansed and made pure again goat. The goat upon which the sins of the people are placed and the goat is led out of the city. The sin is removed. It is taken away. Now, if I may use this moment here just to um, say say something. That throughout our uh, study on Isaiah here, that many of our gifted preachers here have alluded to Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the one upon whom God's wrath comes upon to take away our sin. Now, I need to confess that, um, personally, I'm not convinced by this. In my opinion, and in my opinion, the idea of of an angry God um, needing to pacify his anger or to, or to redirect his anger onto his son so that the sins of the people can be forgiven, in my opinion, this is, um, it has its roots in ancient pagan religions. In my opinion, it's crept its way into Christian atonement theology. That's just my opinion. I'm sharing that with you. And I just think it's important for me to say that in case there are some of you out there who also are struggling with that teaching. I just want to share with you that uh, you're not the only one thinking that. But I could be wrong. I I, I could could absolutely be wrong. However, um, one thing we do agree on, I believe we all agree on, is that Jesus' sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, it brings uh, restitution. It restores us. It brings redemption. It brings us back into our relationship with God, the one we had with Him at the beginning. It brings purification. It makes us clean again. That's the whole purpose behind, behind, uh, the, right? You see that in, in, the sacrifices, right? The blood was not only, uh, for the people, but it was also, it was sprinkled on the altar inside the, uh, inside the holy place. It, it, it made, uh, it made things clear. It purified them. And it, and the, the blood of Christ justifies. Uh, justifies us. It makes us righteous before God. Because our sins are taken away, because we are purified now, God sees us as righteous in His Son, through His Son, and we can stand before God. And the blood of Christ also sanctifies us. It sets us apart. sets us apart from all the evil and wicked in the world. It sets us apart from who we were before, so that we could come before God, so that we could be called children of God, part of His family. So the blood provides cleansing for sinners and eternal covering for sin. And it makes an atonement for the people. The land makes an atonement for the people. Uh, Jesus is the meteor. We can use Old Testament Testament, uh, language. Jesus is is the meteor that takes this stand between the living and the dead so that the penalty of sin or the plague of death would be halted, stopped, checked. that we may stand before the one true God of heaven and earth because his blood cleansed us and purified us and justified us and sanctified us. So verse 9, Isaiah uh, Isaiah 53, uh, 9, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was rich, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there deceit in his mouth. So his grave was assigned with the wicked man. So Jesus was counted as a wicked man, polluting the nation of Israel with his upside-down teaching. It's funny, Rod alluded to uh, the passage of the Breaking Bread. He talked about Jesus um, being counted with the sinners. Right? And you think about that. We're talking about that afterwards. And you think of, you uh, the Old Testament when David numbered the armies, right? Just... It's just, just regular counting, right? You were part of this group, and when it came to transgressors, there was Jesus. He was part of that group. It wasn't like you know, ninety-nine, one hundred. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Jesus was just another number he, in, in the state that he came to the earth. He was just another number, just another sinner, and he was counted with with the the, uh, the wicked at his uh, grave. Pro, Pro, uh, Proverbs 11 says that when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and, with the, and when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. For when a wicked man dies, his expectations perish with him. That sounds like it sounds like the crucifixion of Jesus, right? The righteous rejo- rejoicing over the wicked dying, right? There were the righteous, right? The, the, the the religious leaders finally their their plan and all the plotting has come to fruition right this this uh wicked man sorry let let me read this this wicked man this so-called rabbi he and his endless tongue lashes and his teeth kickings have been to a halt the righteous because the wicked man, uh, the wicked man, because of the wicked, wicked man's demise, and the whole city rejoices with them. This wicked man, this rabbi, and his expectations of ushering in his bogus kingdom and abolishing the uh, the Jewish religious system, are perishing along with him. the the uh, The righteous celebrate by hurling insults and mocking. You are, going to, uh, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself if you are the Son of God come down from the cross. His grave was assigned with the wicked. And I'm sure they thought, and rightfully so. For certainly this Jesus was the spawn of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So Jesus' grave was assigned with the wicked. However, his death. His death was with the rich man. What does that mean? You know, there's a uh, rev- right. Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Beautiful letters. Beautiful letters. I think, it, and I, I took Jesus' letters to the church of Smyrna, and I rephrased it a bit. And I want you, to, when I read these words, I want you to picture God the Father speaking to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. I know your tribulations and your poverty, your suffering in the flesh. Oh, but you are rich. And I the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And the Father would say, do not, fear what, do not do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Overcome, and you will not be hurt by the second death. For you have done no violence, nor was any deceit found in your mouth. Beautiful words, aren't they? Jesus with the rich. Because he, because he did not speak, because he did not revive, because he did not utter threats, because he fulfilled Scripture perfectly and absolutely by going to the cross and suffering for us. What did What did it mean for Jesus to be rich at his death? It was an answer to his prayer, wasn't it? In the upper room, when Jesus prayed with and for his disciples, Jesus said, Jesus prayed, Now Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus prayed to be to, to be glorified again with the Father, to be rich So Jesus may have only spoken a few words at his trials. However, what he, what he did say was very significant. When he was charged by the high priest to tell them whether he was the Christ the Son of God, Jesus said, yes, I am. And he said, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. I believe here Jesus is pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem A.D., when Jesus comes again in judgment. When this time, condemnation and judgment will be in His hands. Against those who take their stand and hold counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords. For them, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it shall also be for all who in the same manner spurn and scorn the Lord and His anointed anointed one by rejecting Him and treating His servant with contempt. However, to those who, like Peter, believe that Jesus held the the words of eternal life, to those who believe in Him, Jesus says, truly, 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 I say to you, who, who, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out from death to life. So was, was Jesus' ministry a reckless crusade? Far from it. Was his ministry unplanned? Did he come at a backwards time? In a strange land? Absolutely not. Everything was fulfilled precisely and absolutely to, to, and, and completely so that the sin of the world be, be taken away. So that Jesus, the Lamb of God, may, may purify and may justify and may sanctify and make us all holy again before the one true God of heaven. And that does make for a great musical. God, our God, our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord Father, again that we may gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ <coughs> uh, with your Word uh, openly, that we may learn from it, that your Spirit may teach us, Lord Father. As you said this morning, it's such a bizarre thing, Lord Father, Father, for us to gather to, to study the, the suffering of a man, to to want to be reminded of it to consider uh his crown of thorns a, a precious thing it's just uh lord father as scripture says the, the, the world looks at us as tools for doing such a thing but we know Lord father through the scripture and we know in our heart and our spirit Lord father that it is these things that has uh, that brought us to you that has redeemed us back to you that uh, uh, where we were lost, Lord Father, uh, like a like a lamb. Where we were like the prodigal son, Lord Father, separated from you because of our sin, because of choices that we made, Lord Father. Because of the blood of the lamb, you welcome us back. You have compassion on us. You run to us. You hug us. You kiss the Lord Father. You place the best robes on us, rings on our fingers, and sandals on our feet, <clears throat> because. It is right, because in your Savior it is right for all heaven to rejoice, Lord Father, when a sinner repents and returns home. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this week.